Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. You are listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. As 2022 draws to a close, we thought we'd take a look back at some of the biggest stories that have appeared on our monthly Maritime in Minutes episodes over the last 12 months. Many of these stories developed across a period of months, if not the entire year. This episode will cover a number of major themes and what has happened across the course of 2022. Casting our minds back to January and the idea that the tanker market would be enjoying days in the sun just a few months later did seem rather optimistic. In the January episode of Maritime Minutes, I noted 2021 had been frankly horrible for the tanker sector but did pick up on what turned out to be a remarkably prescient forecast by brokers Gibsons. This is what they had to say. A geopolitical black swan event this year could supercharge the moribund tanker market. Just as a trade dispute between Australia and China impacted dry bulk trades, the risk of a major confrontation between Russia, Europe and the US could completely redefine oil trade. Assessing the impact of a possible oil embargo on Russia is a near impossible task, but undoubtedly global oil trade and prices would be severely impacted. By October, it was an extremely different picture, as we reported. Our New York correspondent Barry Parker noted in a story the other day, as the cliche goes, the tanker sector is on fire. Charter hires had reached stratospheric levels on the back of longer voyages, for crude oil and refined products, with brokers potent pegging one-year VLCC charters of $47,000 per day, uh, that's for charters to the end of 2023, and for a two-year charter to the end of 2024 pegged at $39,000 per day. It's pretty easy to see what Barry's referring to here. You know, those are really nice earnings if you're looking at that sort of length of period. As the latest phase of sanctions against Russian oil exports comes into force in early December, things continue to look extremely good for the tanker sector. Much of what caused the boom in the tanker market was the impact of the war in Ukraine, which of course impacted much more than just shipping, not least the citizens of the country itself. But the invasion by Russia also left thousands of seafarers stranded on vessels at Ukrainian ports, as our Europe editor Gary Howard reported in the March episode of Maritime in Minutes. It's an emerging humanitarian crisis for seafarers trapped in that region. Crews are being told that vessels are the safest place to be because of the, the state of things on land. But in many cases, supplies on board are running low. And the situation on land in some areas makes it really difficult to resupply civilians on the ground, let alone those seafarers stuck on ships. There are various charities and organizations working to resolve this incredibly difficult situation. We have seen where possible seafarers being evacuated from their ships and out of Ukraine. And we even have a a video of one such operation up on the site. The IMO announced it's working to establish a blue corridor for ships to move safely out of the Sea of Azov. But as we've seen with humanitarian corridors on the land, these are difficult to establish. And then there's a real threat of any agreement breaking down when ships and civilians start moving. Over the coming months, seafarers would gradually be evacuated from stranded vessels. However, a blockade of Ukrainian ports quickly started to have serious impact on global food markets and prices, as the country is a major exporter of wheat and grain. 
Over a period of months, much work was done to create an international corridor for grain exports from the Ukraine. And in the August episode, we reported on its starting up. The first great shipment of grain from the port of Odessa in Ukraine since the Russian invasion back in March. In the early hours of the 1st of August, the bulk of Rizzoni sailed from the port of Odessa, carrying 26,000 tons of corn destined for Lebanon. Following agreement between Ukraine, Russia and the UN under the Black Sea Grain Initiative, coordinates have been established to create a humanitarian maritime corridor. The corridor took off quickly, and by 5th August, we reported three more vessels leaving Ukraine ports and one more arriving. The humanitarian corridor has continued to provide a vital lifeline for grain exports, if on occasion it has been threatened with closure. Meanwhile, the war continues to have other impacts on shipping, such as the growing dark fleet of tankers aimed at busting sanctions against Russian oil exports. Switching gears considerably, we're going to talk about a story involving a man called Peter Hebblethwaite, who it's fair to say few listeners would have heard of, but in just a few short months he was to hit global headlines. Peter Hebblethwaite is of course the CEO of P&O Ferries, a man who was branded Britain's most hated boss. Gary explained why in our March episode of Maritime in Minutes. P&O Ferries, an operator which runs ferry services both uh, within the UK and between the UK and Europe, decided to fire 800 seafarers without warning and without prior consultation to unions and flags. This did not go down well. P&O Ferries has managed to unite the RMT and Nautilus unions, which represent most of the affected seafarers, and highlighted that there remains a real strength of voice from those two unions and other unions who have been protesting up and down the country over this move. PO had planned to sack its crews and replace them with cheaper agency workers as part of a change in its crewing strategy and be back to operating its vessels within about 10 days. This has not happened for most of its routes. The return to service of PO Ferry's fleet did not go remotely to plan and by the end of May, it was still struggling to get all of its vessels back into service, as Gary explained in our episode for that month. As we all know by now, P&O Ferries fired 800 of its seafarers without warning back in March, and it's fair to say the company's plans to return its 10 vessels to service within 10 days has not played out to plan. The Pride of Kent finally passed its port state control inspection this month, and that was on the fourth attempt. The report from this has since been released and showed 47 deficiencies, including 13 grounds for detention, many of which were in the sort of exact areas you'd expect for a vessel that has just had a hasty change of crew. Pride of Canterbury passed its port state control inspection yesterday at the time of recording, and that leaves just one more ship left to pass the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency's inspection. The fleet did all get back into service, but the backlash has continued. And in October, Hebblethwaite was forced to drop off a panel at the annual Interferry Conference, and in November was voted the world's worst boss by the International Trade Union Confederation. At the start of this episode, we looked at the tanker sector that has been enjoying a surprise upturn in 2022. It is not the only shipping sector that has been enjoying good times. 
Indeed, container shipping has enjoyed unprecedented earnings, both in 2021 and in 2022. But as this year has progressed, it has become clear that this is not going to last. We started out 2022 reporting that analyst Drury had upped their annual forecast for container shipping's EBIT in 2021 from 150 billion to a cool 190 billion. As 2022 continued, the profits reported by Lines were to get even more staggering. And in our August episode, we talked about the results of Maersk, just as they were hitting the peak. The world's largest public listed container line and bellwether for the sector, AP Muller Maersk, added a cool 7 billion to its full year profit forecast just before announcing its Q2 results, revising up its full year earnings outlook to a whopping $37 billion EBITDA. Putting the results in historical perspective, Maersk reported an EBITDA of $10.3 billion for the second quarter of 2022. That's a figure which is almost double its full year profit of 2019, which was $5.7 billion. Maersk's Q2 results had noted a weakening of spot rates. The extent of the plunge in container spot rates to come was to take even the most pessimistic by surprise though, as we discussed in our October episode. HSBC Global Research, which shocked the market with a doom-laden report on the sector at the start of September, predicting an 80% drop in profitability by 2023-24, realised it in fact had been too optimistic, as spot rates plunged even more sharply than it had expected. In a research note entitled Fast and Furious, HSBC noted spot rates reported by the Shanghai Containerized Freight Index had fallen by 51% since the end of July, a decline of 7.5% per week. As a result, it brought forward its forecast of a trough in rates to mid-2023 from 2024 previously. Meanwhile, in a separate story, MSC, the world's largest container line, which rarely comments on the markets, saw its CEO Soren Toff take to social media to say that the market was now quote-unquote normalising and there would no doubt be some difficult quarters ahead. As spot rates head back down to 2019 levels, this is particularly concerning for container lines and as they negotiate long-term contracts for 2023, there can be little doubt that earnings will be considerably impacted. If you're enjoying the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on the app of your choice. It's hard to talk about 2022 without mentioning decarbonisation and emissions. The industry's ambitions, regulation and IMO targets have gone well beyond their traditional realms of the trade press like ourselves at Sea Trade Maritime News. Watching the mainstream press trying to cover week-long bureaucratic meetings at the lumbering beast that is the IMO is not something I ever expected to see. While the focus has more often than not been on regulation, it is the moves the industry itself is taking in terms of investing in alternative fuels that are the single most concrete actions. Over the last year, we've seen growing traction around ammonia and methanol as a marine fuel, the latter attracting significant ship orders. However, while ships are on order, the availability of green fuels is another matter. 
In July, Gary covered an interesting story on the potential source of cheap, sustainable methanol. It's a little maritime adjacent, but it could be something that we come to rely on in the coming decades. Ten European and Japanese organisations are putting their heads together to try and slash the cost and energy requirements of creating methanol by hydrogenating CO2. The research has been underway for a year now and is moving on to construct three different types of reactor to make this methanol and test over 100 different catalysts across the reactors to try and find an edge over the current thermal process. The research is very much focused on those catalysts, and who knows, this could prove a crucial step in securing the volumes of renewable methanol that parts of our industry and other industries will need to reach decarbonisation targets in the future. You can learn more about methanol as a green fuel in a September In Focus episode of the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, where we talk to Chris Chatterton of the Methanol Institute. Amid all the talk on regulation and targets, The most significant change is the coming into force of the IMO's EEXI and CII regulations, the latter for carbon intensity proving particularly controversial. These were covered in depth by our correspondent Paul Bartlett in a November In Focus episode, and as Paul commented. The pressure is already on, however, as ship owners and operators should have drawn up new Ship Energy Efficiency Management Plans, SEEMP, by the end of this year. Moving into the final topic for our year-end review, without a doubt 2022 was the year of the in-person event with a huge bounce back in conferences, exhibitions, seminars and cocktail parties. Winding back to March and CMA shipping in Connecticut was one of the first larger events and followed by Singapore Maritime Week in April, although the latter was still restricted to some extent by COVID measures. But revving it up to a whole different level was the return of Posidonia in Greece in June. As I noted at the time, If anyone had any doubts about the appetite for in-person events post-pandemic, Posidonia clearly dispelled these. The exhibition halls were packed with visitors from around the globe. There were huge traffic jams to get into the venue. And of course, there were the parties. It was quickly named Partidonia, and it wasn't hard to see why. But there was plenty of serious stuff going on as well, including for ourselves at the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, recording episodes with Stealth Gas CEO Harry Vafies, and Vasilios Dimitriades, the shipping deputy minister of the Republic of Cyprus. Then September saw the massive SMM event in Hamburg back on the calendar. Gary attended this event and commented. But yes, SMM. Now, in formal markets, we're ourselves ultimately an events company, so it was great to see the industry back out in force in Hamburg. I've heard many comments both at the show and at a few meetings and events since discussing just how well attended the show was. And there were even some kind words about the Global Maritime Environmental Congress, or GMEC for short, which was a one-day conference program organized by yours truly in partnership with uh, SMM hosts Hamburg Messer. Decarbonization was very much the overarching theme of SMM, even outside of the GMEC program. In terms of content, Gary summed up the whole event in a piece entitled drowning in decarbonisation. The return of events has also meant we have had the pleasure of meeting some of you, our listeners, in person over the course of 2022, and we look forward to talking to you both on the podcast and in person in 2023. 
With that, we have come to the end of our final episode of the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast for 2022. We wish you a joyous festive season, and we'll be back in the first week of 2023.